Let's open by going to God in prayer. Lord, we come to you looking for you to feed us from your word. So would you use these words to share your word and that we might be built up and that you might be exalted. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are coming to one of the most celebrated holidays in the entire world, Christmas. But the ironic thing is that most of the celebrations will have nothing to do with Jesus. It would be like celebrating Martin Luther King Day and never mentioning Martin Luther King. Or having a 4th of July celebration and never talking about it being when we had the Declaration of Independence. Most people gather on Christmas for family or for gifts or for Santa, but little are anticipating the celebration of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, coming as a human. Anticipation can refer to something that is going to happen and then you predict will happen. Or it can mean the eager anticipation, the eager desire for something to come. I remember being a young child and school coming and thinking, Christmas will never get here. The days seem to drag on and eagerly looking forward to Christmas and time with family. And perhaps you're not really anticipating Christmas, but you have what you're eagerly looking forward to. Maybe it's a new book that's going to be released soon or a new movie or some sports game that you think is going to be the game of all games. Well, what are you anticipating or looking forward to? We're going to end our service by singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, in which musically is describing the cry of Israel looking for their deliverer, Emmanuel, to come. They anticipated, they waited for, they hoped for God to come and deliver them. And ironically, sometimes we eagerly anticipate something and we're shocked When it happens, you can read in Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter is arrested and the church is praying for him and God miraculously delivers Peter. And yet when he goes to where the Christians are meeting, they think the person who tells them it's Peter is out of their mind. Peter's in prison. He can't be here. And this morning we're going to see that Mary was eagerly anticipating the Messiah. And yet when she's told that it'll happen through her, She is shocked. So here in Luke 1, we're going to see that God gives us the true story of the first Christmas and Jesus' miraculous coming. And we're going to see three things. If you have a bulletin or one of the sheets, you can see first we're going to look at the revelation in verses 26 through 33. Then we're going to look at the explanation in verses 34 through 38. And then lastly, the confirmation 39 through 45. Let's read the first sections, verses Luke 1, 26 through 33 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this be, might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, our passage begins here with God sending the angel Gabriel to Mary in the sixth month. And that raises all sorts of questions. Well, who's Gabriel in the sixth month of what? The sixth month of the year? The sixth month of a celebration? Well, we read before this, Keith read for us, the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah. Look again at verse 19 of chapter 1. And the angel answered him, being Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Well, that good news was what the elderly and the barren wife of Zechariah, Elizabeth, would conceive, and that she would bear a son who would turn many back to the Lord and would prepare the way for the Lord. Verse 24, at the end of that, then says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Thus, when it says the sixth month, it's referring of the sixth month from when Gabriel came, and when Elizabeth conceived. And now the angel Gabriel comes again. But he isn't sent from God to the epicenter of Jewish life and worship, Jerusalem. Rather, God sends him to an obscure town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, this town is so small it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. The Jewish historian Josephus never mentions it. It would be like talking about Electra, Texas. Most people didn't even know an Electra, Texas existed. And if they did, what's there? Is anything going on there? Well, that's the type of place that God sends for his angel to go. This magnificent pronouncement doesn't come to some grand palace, but an out-of-way town in a private home. And Gabriel wasn't sent to someone we might deem important, like a prophet, a priest, or a princess. Rather, Verse 27 tells us that he, he was sent to a virgin named Mary who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, in that time, girls were normally betrothed between ages 12 and 13, and the betrothal would last for about a year. Now, the betrothal was stronger than what we think of as an engagement. To end a betrothal, you needed a divorce. And yet, if all went well, about a year later, they were married. And here, we're told that her betrothed was Joseph, a descendant of King David. And notice what Gabriel says to her, verse 28. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. You know, for some reason that we're not told, God showed favor to Mary. Now, some confusion has arisen because in the 6th century, Jerome translated the Greek New Testament into Latin, called the Latin Vulgate. And there he translated this favored one, gratia plena, which in Latin can be taken to mean full of grace. So you may have heard people, you maybe have prayed, Hail Mary, full of grace. And that comes from the Latin translation of this verse. However, the original translation doesn't say Mary is full of grace, i.e. that's something that she has. Rather, the original Greek is saying she was given grace. She was shown favor. Mary was like every other human that needs grace from God. Mary even acknowledges this. Look at chapter 1 of Luke, verse 47. Here, after all this happens, Mary's going to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. Mary says, 
chapter 1. I'll read verse 46 as well. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Someone who needs salvation is not full of grace. Rather, they are someone who needs to receive grace. And she, for some reason, God bestows special favor on her. And the angel Gabriel also declares, The Lord is with you. Well, not too surprisingly, if you're 12 or 13 years old sitting at home and an angel appears to you, you start to wonder, what in the world is this about? What are you saying that I'm a favored one? And so Mary's confused. So Gabriel replies in verse 30 and tells her, don't fear. Again, God has shown you grace or put favor upon you. And Gabriel expands on this by saying, look, three things are going to happen to you. First, you're going to conceive. Second, you're going to bear a son. And third, you'll call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua, which means salvation. As we read in Matthew's account, when the angel goes to Joseph, he says he'll be named Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Well, Gabriel then tells five wonderful descriptions of this son who will be named Jesus. First, Jesus will be great. We read earlier, Luke 1, 5 to 24, because there's a comparison and contrast going back and forth in the first two chapters of Luke between John and Jesus. And John is described in Luke 1, 15 as someone who will be great before the Lord. So John is great before the Lord, but Jesus just says he is great. Jesus is qualitatively an improvement from John. Second, Gabriel says, Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, John will be described in chapter 1, verse 76, as the prophet of the Most High, whereas, again, Jesus is the Son of the Most High. Now, as we're going through this, we have to be cautious because we know the rest of the story. We know everything that happens, and we know, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus is the Eternal, the one and only Son of God. Yet, at this time... I don't think Mary fully understood that. I say that for one reason, because in Luke 6.35, it says that they are sons of the Most High. So, son of the Most High doesn't only have to be read as meaning Jesus was divine, though clearly the rest of the Gospels show us that. Well, third, Gabriel declares that the Lord God will give Jesus the throne of his father, David. Even though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, their culture passed down their line even through an adoptive father. And every single Israelite anticipated the future son of David who would come. They looked forward to this because God made a promise to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It reads there, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12, When your days, King David, are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise your offspring after you, who shall come for your body, from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And as you know, in the Old Testament, after King David, many kings came and went and they didn't have a throne forever. And in fact, things got very dark because first Israel in the north and then Judah in the south was destroyed 
and exiled, and it looked like God's promises were not going to be fulfilled. And yet in the midst of that, God made a promise. Isaiah 11.1 There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, the father of David, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. So even in the darkest of times, God was saying the promise to David of an eternal kingdom will come. And Gabriel makes clear this is exactly whom Jesus will be. Because notice what verse 33 says. He will reign, this is the fourth promise, he will reign over the house of Jacob, meaning Israel, forever. And fifth, his kingdom, there will be no end. There could be no clearer tying to David's promise or the promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7. And these promises would have rung true in Mary's ear. Every faithful Israelite was looking forward to this king who would come. And so as Israel lay in captivity to Rome, they longed for their Davidic king to return and establish an eternal kingdom. Now it's interesting, Gabriel could have said many things to Mary about Jesus. He could have said he will be the wonderful counselor. He'll be the prince of peace. He's the Messiah. He's the creator of the world. So why did Gabriel choose to say that he would be the king? I believe he did it because the good news of the gospel is that the king has come. You know, when Jesus begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1, 15, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus made clear his mission was that he came because he is the kingdom of God at hand. He's the king. And why did the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, the magi, why did they come from afar? Because they wanted to come to the newborn king. And what was the message put on top of Jesus' cross? It was, this is the king of the Jews. And Jesus came as a king to conquer. But conquer way more than just Rome. In a much greater way than David conquered Goliath, Jesus conquers sin and death, setting up an eternal kingdom. He's the one who came to conquer sin and all its effects, whether that be moral or spiritual or physical or social and on and on. He came to be the fulfillment of King David and set up an eternal kingdom for he conquered and reigns. As you read through time, we can read of many dynasties that have lasted, some for thousands of years, but only Jesus' reign will be eternal. So we rightly sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when it first begun. An eternal kingdom. And yet there's a slight problem to this story. And that needs the explanation. That's next, verses 34 through 38. So let me read that, and then we'll discuss them. So Luke 1, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Though Mary was probably excited to hear that these promises were going to happen, she's confused. How can this happen since she is still a virgin? And starting with Mary, and until today, many have had a hard time believing that she could conceive as a virgin. Nicholas Kristof writes, The faith in the virgin birth reflects the way American Christianity is becoming less intellectual and more mystical over time. He argues that because he says, well, my grandfather had been a devout and active elder in a church, but he nonetheless firmly believed in scientific truths and regarded the virgin birth as a pious legend. Yet notice, Mary is no more apt to believe that 2,000 years ago than we are today. It's not like Mary said, well, this all makes sense. I'm going to have a child even though I'm a virgin. And Matthew's gospel that we read shows didn't make much sense to Joseph. It was pretty clear to him what happened, so he was going to divorce her quietly. You know, they and their culture were not more gullible. They're not more prone to believe myths. Mary and Joseph understood how biology works. In Luke's gospel, Luke was a doctor. Luke understands how things work. Thus, that Joseph, sorry, that Jesus was born of a virgin didn't stem from the later faith of people. That's often what people say. Well, later, Christians started to think, well, Jesus had to be born of a virgin, so we're going to say that's what happened. Well, no, belief in the virgin birth was not their later faith that was then put onto Jesus. Rather, it was the facts that forced them to come to this inclusion. Yet, yet this is impossible. I mean, we, we understand how these things work. Well, look at verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. The real issue is people approach the Bible and life with the assumption, the prior faith commitment really, that everything can be explained by natural explanations. They may not state it this way, but basically the argument goes something like this. Look, premise number one. We know that supernatural events don't happen. Number two, premise two, the Bible records the supernatural birth of Jesus. So conclusion, since supernatural events didn't, don't occur, this biblical account didn't happen. Yet it's their faith in the first premise that we can understand everything by natural, not supernatural means, that means they are only going to come to the conclusion that this couldn't have occurred. Their prior faith leads to their interpretation of what are the facts. In contrast, over and over In the Bible, we see that the facts are what lead to our faith. Take, for example, the disciples' response to Jesus' death and later resurrection. There weren't 11 chairs sitting around the tomb going, this is it. Jesus told us on the third day he's rising again, so we're here, we're ready. How's it going to happen? They weren't waiting eagerly. They were hiding in fear. And when the women come back from the tomb, they don't go... Okay, we were skeptical, but okay, now now we believe. And even when ten of them had seen Jesus, Thomas didn't say, all right, it's, it's true. No, he said, unless I see the hand marks, sorry, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
And then Jesus later appeared also with Thomas there, and he believed. And Jesus then added, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so the virgin birth was believed and is believed, not because this is what is going to make sense of our faith. It's because these are the facts that we said, look, we have to believe them since they happened. Now, this doesn't mean we should believe anything that someone claims, well, God told me this, but rather what God in his word affirms, we must affirm. That's while the birth of Jesus from Mary is a miracle, it's not impossible to believe. In this case, Gabriel informs Mary that the Holy Spirit will cause her to conceive. Now, we're not given the details of what that means, but it clearly doesn't have any pagan notion of the Holy Spirit being intimate with Mary. Nor was Mary a perpetual virgin, as some claim, because the Gospels tell us that Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know, just as God spoke a universe into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God can bring new life into a womb without the normal process of insemination. And so, due to this happening, Gabriel declared that Jesus will be called Holy, the Son of God. You know, holy just means something that's set apart. Jesus is set apart for the unique purpose and mission that God gave him. He'll be called the Son of God. Again, how does Mary hear this? Well, we don't fully know. We do know in Luke chapter 3 there will be a genealogy that will go all the way back to Adam and will call him the Son of God. And yet we know from later passages that Jesus' sonship was different than the way that we are the Son of God. He is the one and only eternal Son of God. And then in verse 36, we see, well, look, Mary, if you think this is impossible, consider another impossibility. Your cousin Elizabeth, she's also pregnant. What? Elizabeth, the elderly, barren woman? How could she be pregnant? Yes, that Elizabeth, and in fact, she who was called barren is six months long. And so Gabriel states, as we've said, Nothing will be impossible with God. You know, when God told Abraham that Sarah would have a son in her old age, Sarah laughed. And God replied to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, God is omnipotent and he can do anything with his creation that he desires to do. So what in your life have you unconsciously decided is too hard for God. Is your child who seems bent on rebellion past changing? Is that relationship that you've tried to mend beyond repair? Is it a trait, habit, or sin in your life that you can't seem to stop? Is it your health, your financial situation, your loneliness, the trajectory of our country? Will God love to work in ways that are beyond what we ask or think? And though he may not work, it may actually continue the way it's going. God tells us he is at work. You know, the promise to David was centuries before this. The promise that Jesus will come again was centuries from now. And yet God has been active the whole time. So let's trust and obey. We don't know what he'll do. So let's trust him and go forward faithfully. Well, Mary responds in verse 38 to Gabriel's words with humble acceptance. She declares, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. You notice she doesn't declare that God owes her. She doesn't act like, well, that's unfair. I had plans for my life. This isn't what I was planning on doing. You know, her response strikes in the face of what we often think and do. You know, we often think, no one's going to tell me what to do. It's my life. I can do whatever I want. Well, she states that as a servant, she'll do as her master decides. Now, God, in his grace, he does make us more than servants. However, we must never forget that we are still his servants. And Mary humbly accepting this will have major cost. Well, I was in seminary. I helped out with our church's college and career group. And we had a Christmas party, and I was sharing this story. And I asked them, well, so what would you all say if one of your friends, they're all college age, one of your friends came to you, was pregnant and said, honestly, I didn't do anything. An angel came to me and spoke, and it was the Holy Spirit. And one of the women started laughing and couldn't stop for a couple minutes. You know, this, that is how Mary's relatives, her betrothed, how everyone else is going to think. An angel came to you, and the Spirit of God caused you to become pregnant. Yes. Okay. And you can read the Gospels and know, in fact, this is what people thought because Joseph was going to give her a divorce. She's shamed in her community. Jesus is mocked because he is called an illegitimate child. And yet she willingly submits to the plans of her master. Like Mary, we should be open to any and all plans God has for us. Mary hears God's pronouncement and willingly gives up reputation and respectability because she wants to serve God. The cost will be immense and great, but the reward will be eternal. And we often want the opposite. We want God to come bless our plans rather than submitting to his plans for us. We want him basically to be our servant. Look, we got these things, God, we're going to pray. Will you bless what we have for you to bless? And yet he says, I'm the master will you accept my plans will we say behold i am your servant let it be to me according to your word i know this can be hard because we know how our life should turn out we have plans that are going to make our life great yet we make our plans and god directs our steps and when we don't get our plans we can grow bitter we can grow angry we can grow disgruntled at god or we can trust him friends there's no one better to entrust your life to you may walk through what feels like the valley of the shadow of death but you don't need to fear any evil because he will be with you as we noted this is not a call for blind faith here this is a call to trust god and in fact God provides a way for Mary to check. And that's our last section, the confirmation, verses 39 through 45. So let's read that together, the confirmation. Luke 1, beginning in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb 
And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We're not given many details except the story rapidly shifts from Gabriel visiting Mary to now Mary going to visit Elizabeth. Their towns are roughly about 80 miles apart, so it would have been about a three to four day journey to travel to see Elizabeth. And when Mary arrives, she greets Elizabeth, and in the greeting, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. Now before we go into this, we need to clear up a misunderstanding of what this means. Elizabeth did not go into a trance-like state. Her eyes go unfocused. Another being and take her body over and in a raspy voice give this speech. Now, that's the way Hollywood depicts a spirit coming upon someone. But as with most things, Hollywood does not depict it accurately. Elizabeth was fully aware and conscious of everything she said. As well, remember the cultural context. Elizabeth had hid herself away for five months. And even a month later, Mary had no idea that Elizabeth was pregnant until Gabriel told her. They don't have any Pony Express. There's no texting, no phones. They lived a long way from each other for that culture. And that also means Elizabeth has no idea what's happened to Mary. She doesn't know what Gabriel told Mary, but she would know that Mary isn't married. Yet with all those things being true, Elizabeth, merely by hearing Mary's greeting, gave the greatest baby reveal of all time. Now, I should pause and say, when it says at her greeting, that could be her long discussion, and maybe Mary heard explained everything. However, it says in here, at the sound, verse 44, at the sound of your greeting to my ears, not at the words of your greeting. So I think, maybe I'm wrong, most commentators don't take this line of thought, but I think when she just began to say, it's great to see you, and the Holy Spirit filled her, she understood all these things. Again, I wouldn't die on that hill, but I think it's what happens. Because Elizabeth not only reveals that Mary is with child, which you can't tell in three days after you conceived, but she also knows it's a boy, and she also knows what type of boy he will be. Thus, with great voice, we're told in verse 42, she proclaimed that Mary was the most blessed among women. You know, Mary, getting to bear this child, shows God's grace and favor upon her. You know, Elizabeth rejoiced at what God did in and through her, but she realizes God is doing something even greater through Mary. And Mary, though probably quite happy for Elizabeth, never actually says any blessings upon Elizabeth. Maybe she did, but we're not given them. You know, Jesus' superiority is being shown even in the proclamations of blessings. And you would really expect the opposite. A teenage girl becomes pregnant in that time, not that big a deal. A woman well past bearing age gets pregnant. Wow, you have finally lost what in their culture would have been a curse and a shame. Elizabeth also pronounces blessing on the child in Mary's womb. And she shows great humility because notice what she says in verse 43. She says, 
And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth calling Mary's child Lord shows her faith that this is the Son of God. Not just some generic one. And that's why we still sing today. The word of the Father. The word of Father, John 1's talking about now in flesh appearing. Or, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Jesus was not just any other human. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Elizabeth also declares that when she heard Mary's greeting, John leapt with joy. You know, John's ministry began in the womb. He was the forerunner to Jesus, even as he lays in utero. And during his ministry, when John is asked about Jesus, he says this in John chapter 3, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices at the bridegroom's voice, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. His joy is complete for Jesus has come. And so, like John, though with different words, we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. And our section ends with Elizabeth again blessing Mary, verse 45, and this time for believing that God's word would be fulfilled. You know, this really stands in contrast, because what did Zechariah do when he heard? Well, how can this, this can't happen. Show me a sign. Now, Mary didn't request a sign. God gave her one. Mary believed, and she now has confirmed that this will happen through the birth of John to Elizabeth. And as I said, this really is the greatest baby reveal of all time. You know, before indoor plumbing... Before electricity, before any sonogram machine, God revealed through an angel and then Elizabeth, the greatest baby that has ever come. You know, this revelation not only accurately told of the gender of the baby, but also accurately declared his identity and purpose. This baby is the long-promised son of David who will come and rule forever. Yet he's not just a son of David, like one of many, he is the Lord of David and of all men. He's not only the son of a mortal human king, David. He's the son of the immortal king, God the Father. And you see, the baby had to be like this because as Matthew tells us, the baby is named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Thus, Jesus had to be a human to be a representative for us. And Jesus had to be divine so he could represent us before God. And so Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, is essential to our salvation and our faith. Well, let's notice the three different responses to those who heard. First, Mary humbly believed and accepted God's will for her in this. Second, John the Baptist leapt for joy. And third, Elizabeth spoke words of believing worship, for this is the Lord. You know, many will gather on Christmas. They may even sing a Christmas carol or two. And yet Jesus to them is just a great teacher, a good moral philosopher, a good person who has given us some ideas on how to live. But like Nicholas Kristof, who I quoted earlier, there's no way he was born of a virgin or that he's divine. 
And yet Luke writes to show us that this is not merely the human fulfillment of promises to David. This is God's one and only eternal son who came to take on human flesh. Jesus is not just one good thing among many. Jesus is great. He is the greatest of all. You know, many of us believe this. And yet, sadly, we can believe it with our heads and not with our hearts. You know, we often think, yes, Jesus is great when we're in here. But what we're really longing for is the time together with family, the gifts, the food. Maybe it's nothing with Christmas. We're looking forward to our next favorite show, to go home and play video games, to binge on whatever we like. Yeah, Jesus, church, that stuff's good. You know, I mean, I'm going to come once a week. But great. Oh, that's the, the activity I do. That's my work. That's my hobby. That's what's really great. And yet, when Jesus is just a good thing and not the greatest thing, we are slowly starving ourselves to death. Spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and in every other way. You can't satiate the eternal hunger God has put in your heart with the things he's put on this earth. It can only come through his son, the Savior, who was born of a virgin, Mary. In the 1850s, you may have heard of the famous French tightrope walker, Blondin, who announced many days in advance that he was going to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. As the days grew closer, many people came and thought that this is crazy. He's not going to do it. And yet he showed up and he walked across. And the crowd went crazy. He did it several times and then he started doing other things. He eventually got a wheelbarrow and walked across and back. He then put semen in it and walked on it and back. And every time he'd go down and back, the crowd would go crazy. And finally, when he came back with the wheelbarrow, with the cement, he put it down and he asked him, do you all think I could go back and forth with a person in the wheelbarrow? Oh, and the crowd went crazy. Oh. And then Blondin turned to a reporter and asked him, do you think I could do it? And the reporter responded with excitement, I really believe you can. I think you're the greatest stunt artist of all time. And Blondin replied, wonderful. Here's the, here's the wheelbarrow. Get in. You know, a lot of us are like the reporter. We think everything's great. But I'm not putting my life on the line for this. Well, God calls us to trust him, not by just saying, oh, you're great out there. I love watching what you're doing. But he says, get in the wheelbarrow. Do you really trust me? Do you really think I am the greatest? You know, faith is more than just some agreement with some facts that we can read on a creed. Faith is living and active. It's getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting God's hands to get us across. So let us rejoice. Because Jesus, the newborn king, has come and we can trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you because you are the one who has the words of eternal life. And so would you use these words to help us to see how great that life is in you, your Son who came in the flesh. And may we rejoice more each day. May we live more faithfully in response. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.